Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is where we are today. And of course, today is a day in which we traditionally uh, discuss or talk about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, or uh, it's known as Palm Sunday. And uh, uh, so we look at this passage of Scripture in John chapter 12, and, and we begin with verse 12 in your Bible. John chapter 12, verse 12. Let's join together for prayer. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your great love and for the mercy that You've shown us. And Lord, we thank You for this beautiful day that we come together to celebrate the coming of the King, to celebrate the coming of our Messiah, the coming of uh, the One who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Lord, we pray that You would help us as we seek to to exalt you and as we seek to grow close to you and Lord Father to help us to understand the significance of all that is happening Lord help us to be aware of your great love and Lord we just pray that you would draw us ever closer to you in Jesus name we pray amen John chapter 12 and of course we're going to look at at verse 12 uh, and following in this passage of Scripture, it says, And on that, uh, the next day much people were come to the feast. And when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat there on, and as it is written, uh, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh, sitteth on the ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples as the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that were uh, with him when he had called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. And so this is uh, traditionally known as, as I said, as the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is the time in which he is coming into Jerusalem uh, prior to the Passion Week. And, and this is the time in which, uh, of course, uh, everybody that's living through this didn't know and, and realize all the things that were about to happen, but Jesus knew and uh, actually, the events that we have reading, uh, that we're reading here, even though we traditionally uh, celebrate these things on Sunday, today, uh, uh, Palm Sunday, a week before uh, Easter, uh, these all, all these events actually happened on a Monday. And so we need to uh, realize that this is uh, the beginning of that week that leads up to the time in which Jesus is crucified and He uh, bears our sins on the cross for our 
uh, for us. And what is happening actually on Sunday is, is that Jesus is back in Bethany. He's with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and uh, he he uh, the night before he's. Uh, had dinner with Simon the leper that uh, Jesus healed. And so uh, Jesus is in the area. He, uh, now, Bethany is only about two miles east of uh, the eastern gate on the temple. And he's, uh, so he's, he's very close to Jerusalem. And he's been making his way towards Jerusalem for some time. And uh, this, all these events, of course, happen after Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead, and everybody is is just all excited about the events that happen. You can read about that uh, prior to this uh, in uh, uh, John chapter eleven, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and and of course, this is uh, one of Jesus' close friends, and he's uh, very sad about. The fact that Lazarus has died and even though he knows that Lazarus is going to live and that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, there's a lot of sadness because of uh, this event creates an opportunity for people to demonstrate their faith in him, to demonstrate the fact that, uh, that they realize that Jesus is more than just a teacher, that he's more than just a, a, a great man. Uh, and, and Mary and Martha both are, are, are excited for the fact that Jesus came. But remember what happened prior to that. They sent word while Lazarus was still sick. And they said, Jesus, come quickly. They knew he was in the area. And they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, come quickly. Lazarus is sick and, and he might die. Please, if you'll just simply come, you can heal him. And this, of course, is something that they had seen Jesus do many times before. They had seen Jesus heal people uh, while they were sick. They had seen Jesus do many miraculous things. In fact, Jesus had even raised people from the dead, and they knew about all of these things. But Jesus tarries. In fact, his disciples ask him about it. They say, Jesus, shouldn't we go? And, and Jesus says, no, Lazarus is going to be fine. He's, uh, he's not uh, really that sick and all that kind of thing. And, and Jesus kind of waits around for a while for Lazarus to die. And so by the time that Jesus gets to, uh, to where Mary and Martha are, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been dead, and he's not just simply dead. He's dead, dead. I mean, uh, and it's significant that Lazarus was dead for four days because in the tradition and the understanding of the of people during that time, they had seen people uh, raised from the dead by prophets and other people. And, of course, Jesus had uh, raised uh, uh, people before from the dead, but they had all been dead for just a very short period of time. And, and a lot of the belief at that time, of course, this is all before medicine and all before all the things we know and understand about uh, life now, they believed that the spirit of the, of the dead person after they passed away lingered over the body for three days. You understand the significance of three days? Jesus was in, dead and in the grave for three days. Lazarus was uh, dead and had been buried for over three days. And Jesus uh, waits for a time for everyone to realize that Lazarus is truly dead. And then he comes and he calls forth Lazarus from the dead. 
and restores Lazarus' life in an undisputed act of his ability. And, and of course, look, miracles by Jesus are not, you know, this is not a day and age of superheroes or anything like that. And Jesus isn't doing these things for uh, people to laud him or to, uh, to lift him up or anything. These are all demonstrations of the fact that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God in flesh. And when uh, it wasn't too long before this that Jesus had fed uh, thousands of people with just small fragments of food, just a little bit of food. And so uh, Jesus is demonstrating that he, is, uh, he is, has a power and authority over the natural world while he walks on the water and when he uh, multiplies food by simply uh, praying over it and then handing it out. Uh, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over uh, human life by healing people. That's the reason that Jesus would heal these people was because he's demonstrating he has power over uh, sickness and death. And his demonstration of power of raising Lazarus from the dead was to demonstrate that he's, he's God over all of life. Who has power over life to give life and to take life other than the one who created life? And so Jesus demonstrates this through the raising of Lazarus. And so uh, this has created a great buzz. There's a lot of people because they had not experienced this before. They had not seen someone raise someone from the dead so long after death that it's undisputed that he has power and authority over life and death. And so all of these people are come and they're, uh, they're expressing uh, his uh, uh, worship of Jesus and the crowds are following Jesus everywhere they are going and, and word is being spread of all the things they're doing. And people are being filled with joy and with hope. They're excited about what is happening. They're excited about the fact that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and that Jesus is making His way. Of course, He's making His way to Jerusalem because of Passover. Now, Passover is a time of celebration, a time of great celebration amongst the people. Now, Passover was a time in which they remembered God's deliverance of the people of Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And this is to commemorate the time in which God brought all the plagues upon Pharaoh and caused Pharaoh to get uh, discouraged about uh, keeping uh, the Israelites as slaves. And, and it, there were ten of them. And, and the last one was uh, God said, finally, okay, if you won't let my people go, then uh, I'm going to send my death angel and every firstborn child in all the land will die unless the people of Israel follow my instructions and sacrifice a lamb the night before and take the blood and dip, uh, dip a hyssop in the blood and paint the door, uh, lentils of the door frame with that blood. And then they have to remain in that home overnight. And they have to take that lamb that was sacrificed and they are to, uh, to eat that lamb as a commemoration of what God is doing. And to be prepared not to make bread with leaven, but to make bread with, without leaven because the deliverance of God is coming quickly. 
They wouldn't have time. So it was to be prepared. They were, in fact, the, the celebration of Passover, even to this very day, uh, the people of Israel, as they celebrate Passover, they, they uh, celebrate it all dressed and ready for travel. They're to be dressed and ready to go. It's a demonstration of what they did that night, being ready for God's deliverance. And of course, as uh, they are, uh, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem that day, on that uh, Monday, the people are excited because of uh, the fact that they are there to celebrate the deliverance of God. And here is coming a man whom they believe is the Messiah. Because of what He has done, uh, all the miracles that He's accomplished, they believe He's the long-appointed and prophesied uh, Messiah that was to come. They're excited because uh, that day of all days is a day of, of celebration and joy because of the deliverance of God. And here's coming the Messiah, the one who is going to deliver them from all of the enemies of Israel and uh, reestablish the kingdom because, see, that's what the understanding is for the people of Israel of the Messiah. The Messiah is not uh, our understanding of the Messiah, but, a, but a, a king that is to come, and he is to come in and, and triumphal victory. He is to come like uh, a victorious king on a white stallion to enter into the kingdom and, and reestablish the kingdom of David that has been uh, foretold for so long. They remember things like in 2 Samuel where it tells them uh, that uh, the prophet uh, of God tells uh, uh, David, that, that he's going to have a son that will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And that, that throne will not ever diminish. And that throne will last for an eternity. Of course, you have to remember they've been going through a period of time where no one has sat on the throne of Israel. And they've had others to rule over them and to uh, cause them to go into exile and then come back and be able to live in the land, but they're, they're occupied nation. And now they're uh, anticipating the king that would come, the son of David who would return, and uh, the shoot that would come forth and uh, reestablish the kingdom of David the time in which Israel was, uh, was just the golden age. This was the time in which David, you remember David, King David uh, started out as a shepherd boy, but he became a mighty warrior. And uh, uh, while he was uh, still under uh, King Saul, he went about and, as a mighty warrior and defeated all the foes of Israel. He drove out the Philistines and he uh, caused all kinds of, of havoc upon all those who are surrounding Israel and causing them so many problems. And he, would, he established an, a kingdom that would be uh, the greatest kingdom ever under his son Solomon. They were greater than anything that they'd ever seen, uh, such wealth that they had never known. And so they were excited. They were thrilled that uh, David's son would return to Jerusalem. Now Bethany, uh, where Lazarus was from, uh, where he was raised from the dead, was only two miles away from uh, Israel, as I said before. And as you left Bethany, you would uh, very soon see the Mount of Olives and you would uh, uh, approach the Mount of Olives and... and uh, 
If you went over the Mount of Olives, you would see, you would be able to look down and see the Kidron Valley that's right outside of the gates of Israel. Right outside the gate of the temple, in fact. The Kidron Valley was significant because the Kidron Valley was established as a place where all the blood from the sacrifices would pour out. That would be, that was the place where, uh, close in the temple where they would slaughter the animals and let the blood flow. And that blood would flow down into the Kidron Valley and it would mix in with the uh, river that flowed through there. And of course, that uh, would be the place in which they would see the blood that would flow from Jesus Christ in a very short week. And that was the place in which you would uh, walk through and go to in order to get to the eastern gate. And as Jesus was coming over that Mount of Olives, He saw the Kidron Valley and He would see the, uh, the eastern wall of the temple and He would uh, go into that place. There was a massive crowd of people that were there. So large and so vast, thousands of people. They were there for the observance of the Passover. And everyone from all over Israel was bringing news of of all the things that Jesus had done. See, Jesus had gone from uh, all over Israel performing miracles in these uh, little villages and little places throughout Israel. And, and as he was going through Israel, he was doing miracles. But those were, things were known locally because the people were, were staying there in their little communities. But as all the people came together in Jerusalem, they were beginning to share all the stories that they had heard in anticipation of Jesus coming and anticipation of Him being the Messiah. They were all sharing all the things that uh, Jesus had done, all the miracles that Jesus had performed and sharing all the things that He had said, things that were beyond their understanding and, and comprehension of God's Word because Jesus was making it alive. He wasn't talking about laws and rules and things they had to follow and things they could do and couldn't do. He wasn't talking about uh, uh, God in the way in which the Pharisees were talking about God. They were, he was talking about God in a personal sense, in a way in which they too could understand and have that personal relationship with God. And he was making the Bible, uh, their understanding of God from uh, what we call the Old Testament now, but it was their Bible. Uh, he, they, Jesus was explaining all of those things and, and he was sharing all those things and it was becoming alive and it was vibrant and it was full of life and it was full of understanding of all the things that God was trying to tell His people. And he was able to share with them all the meaning that had been mistaken by the teachers and religious elders of the day because all their understanding was was rituals and following certain things, doing things a certain way, and they'd forgotten all about why they were doing those things. It's kind of like people today. People come to church because it's Sunday. They sing in church because that's what everybody else is doing. They stand up and sit down because that's what everybody else is doing. And people have forgotten all the reason, the meaning for coming to being together. They had forgotten all about that in Israel and forgotten of who God was. Jesus was reminding them. Jesus was helping them to understand and, and He was creating passion within their hearts. 
because of all that Jesus had done and all that He was doing. Great excitement was going throughout all the uh, place. And so Jesus was, before He went into Jerusalem, He was there having dinner with, uh, with Simon the leper who He had, had healed. And then He had, had uh, stayed with uh, Martha and uh, Mary and Lazarus. And all the people were seeing Jesus there with Lazarus. And, and so they were creating a great crowd of people. And as Jesus is going... He's got a crowd of people going with Him and then there's a crowd of people in Jerusalem that has heard about Jesus and so they're all coming out to meet Jesus and so when you come together in verse 12, you have a, a uniting of two great crowds of people who are celebrating and worshiping Jesus. They're saying, Hosanna. But before Jesus gets all the way to the city, He tells two of His disciples, hey, I want you to go before us. I want you to hurry on into Jerusalem. And that when you get there, you'll find a, a house with two colt, a, a, a donkey and a colt uh, tied there. And I want you to talk to that man. And, and arrange, he, he was arranging a place for them to meet together for Passover. And he says, I want you to get the donkey and the colt and loose them and bring them. And if, you, if someone asks you about that, who would that be? That would be the owner. That'd be like somebody coming to your house and, and getting in your car and starting it up and getting ready to back out. And you'd naturally say, hey, everybody that's in the family is right in here. So who's uh, turning on the car outside in the driveway? You'd go out and you'd investigate. And that's what happened with this man. He went out to find out what was going on. And here's two guys. They're, they're uh, untying his donkey and the donkey's colt. A little, a little uh, uh, colt that's been born. And it's still following around the donkey. And, and so he says, what in the world are you doing? And, and they say, well, the Lord has need of them. That's kind of a cryptic thing to say. The Lord has need of them. Who's the Lord? Who's your Lord? Who are you talking about? What does He need them for? When are, they, uh, are you bringing them back? None of those things are said. They just say the Lord has need of them. Which indicates maybe that this individual has, knows about Jesus and is either aware of who Jesus is and who His disciples are, or is a follower of Jesus. And so anyway, uh, they bring the, the donkey and the colt, and Jesus gets on the, the colt, the small, smaller animal of the two, younger, weaker, not the adult donkey, but the small colt. You've probably seen a, a, a young donkey in the field out here in, uh, uh, in rural Georgia. You've probably seen them. They're, they're the cutest little things, but not very big for riding, are they? Now, why is Jesus riding the colt? Well, Jesus purposely rides the colt because it is a sign of, of humility. Normally, the, a great conquering king would come in on a, uh, on a great horse. Usually, it would be a, a, a white stallion. And we think of, of a conquering king from medieval times and the great shiny armor and, and a massive, uh, uh, massive army following behind the king. 
And that's the image of a conquering king that, that even the Israelites had at that time. But Jesus is not coming on a, on a great white stallion. He's coming on a, a lowly colt. Oh, so why did they bring the donkey? Anybody tell me that? Well, they brought the donkey because the, don- uh, the colt is still young. He's still following around his mama. And they used the donkey in order to lead the colt because everywhere the mama goes, the little baby goes too. And so that's how they're controlling the colt. And so you know the little colt wouldn't go without the mama, so they had to take both. And so here's Jesus, and they've thrown their coats because they were up in the, mount, on mount, in the mountains, and they're coming down into the, uh, the valley area, and so they're, they're warm. They're, they don't need their coats any longer, so they're throwing their coats over the donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and, and all the people, as they are seeing Jesus uh, ride the colt, they're thinking, Messiah, Messiah. So they start throwing their coats out in front of the colt like uh, they would of a conquering king. They're throwing their, co- uh, their cloaks out like a, 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 we would think of as a, in terms of a red carpet. Uh, being placed out in front of the colt for the colt to ride on. And, and they would, after Jesus passes by, they grab them up and they take them out in front of them and lay their cloaks down again. And, and people are coming in uh, and they're uh, celebrating and they're worshiping and, and they're cutting down palm fronds too. They're excited. This is a, a, a continuation of all the things that has happened. And oh, yeah, rem, let me remind you also that the night before, as Jesus is in uh, the home of Mary and Martha with Lazarus there, uh, Jesus is sitting there, and, and that's the time in which uh, uh, Martha is going around uh, trying to busily take care of things, and she's uh, fixing the dinner. And that's when Mary very quietly goes to the feet of Jesus and she's crying and she breaks open the perfume box and anoints Jesus' feet. And she does something that's very unusual for a woman of, of any distinction in that time. She takes her hair down. It would never be seen by any proper woman to take her hair down in public. She takes her hair down and it comes down and it's flowing down and she uses her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. And that's when the disciples uh, start bickering and arguing, led by Judas, who's saying, hey, we could have used that expensive perfume and sold it and done a lot of good for uh, a lot of people. And they're complaining because she's wasted this. And Jesus says, look, she's, uh, you, when I entered into my home, uh, she, uh, you didn't kiss me, but she's done nothing but kiss my feet since I, I sat down. And you didn't wash my feet when I entered in, but she's been washing my feet with tears and she's anointed my feet with this perfume. And he says it's a, it's a, a foreshadowing of, of anointing me in my burial, in my death. So all of this is happening. And, and as Jesus is coming in, uh, people aren't thinking about His death that He's foretold uh, about and he's, uh, he's predicted all this time and, and is talked about. They're thinking of Jesus as uh, uh, the great Messiah. Jesus was 
there was all that excitement because of all the miracles. And there was a lot of people, a massive amount of people. Now, we think of a lot of people. We think, well, Jerusalem's a small place. It can't possibly have that many people. There's a census that was done uh, uh, back during that time. And during Passover that particular year, 258,500 lambs were slaughtered for Passover. That's a lot of lambs slaughtered. Each family brought a lamb to be slaughtered as a sacrifice during Passover. So if you think about an average family during that time of 10 people, that's 2.5 million people that were present that particular year on average in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem's population would swell. So what we're talking about of all the people coming with Jesus and all the people meeting Jesus, that, that could be in the hundreds of thousands of people. And they're, they're celebrating. And what are they saying? They're saying all the things they usually say during Passover. Like Psalms 118 verse 27 that says, uh, uh, Sing Hosanna. For your salvation comes. It's a, it's, it's a, a passage of Scripture at the end of the Psalms that's always read during the Passover because uh, the last several Psalms in uh, the book of Psalms are all celebration Psalms of all the celebration of all the things that God has done, all the things that God is providing for them. And so uh, they are uh, uh, there worshiping and celebrating and all this excitement. But everybody's not excited. You've got the religious leaders that are there too. While all the people are making hay and they're making all the celebration and they're saying all of these things, they're, trying, they're there saying to Jesus' disciples, hey, you need to tell these people to stop what they're doing. This is blasphemous. Because they see the popularity of Jesus growing and growing and growing. They're, they're jealous. They're saying, look, He's not the Messiah. He, you can't have all these people saying these things. And why did it disturb them so much? Because they were saying what? Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Hosanna literally translated means save us. And so as they're saying, Hosanna... Glory to God in the highest. They're saying, Jesus, save us. Bring glory to God. Bring deliverance to us. We believe you're the Messiah, so come and deliver us. Deliver us from all of our enemies. Save us from all those who are against us. So all of these things are happening as Jesus is coming in. And of course, the people believe Jesus is the Messiah because back in chapter 6, you see Jesus, of course, like I said, feeding 20,000 people or more with just a few loaves and fish. They want to anoint Jesus as king at that point because here's a guy who's able to feed everyone. And what better role for, him, uh, for the king than someone who's able to make ensure that we're never hungry that we're never without food to eat because He can just make it miraculously appear. Then uh, in chapter 8, when Jesus is teaching in the temple, of course, the people weren't always 
uh, uh, celebrating Jesus and wanting to make him king in chapter 8 when Jesus is teaching in the temple treasury and he's there teaching them. Uh, they want to grab Jesus up and they take him out to the precipice and they want to stone him. They want to throw him off the ledge. They want to kill him because they see uh, the the things that he's saying and they, they can't comprehend all that he's saying and they, they want to just take him out there and, and, and uh, kill him because of blasphemy. In chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus, uh, where it says uh, there, and Jesus said to them though, that the hour has come and the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But it, uh, if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so Jesus is here foretelling of the time in which He is going to die. And so now is the time, as Jesus is entering in, now is the time Jesus is proclaiming to them his time has come and they think it's his time to come to be uh, crowned king and he's telling them, look, it's time for me to die. It's time for me to sacrifice myself. Unless a, a grain of corn falls into the ground and, and dies, it doesn't bring forth life. And he's talking about his own death and he must die in order to bring life. Jesus created this situation by all the things that He has done and all the things that He has, uh, has brought about and He's brought all these thousands of people together. Hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem for the Passover. And they've come together to celebrate. And He's created this, this great passion the crowd just loves Jesus and they want to make Him uh, king. They want to crown Him king. and uh, It inflames the leaders even more to want to crucify Jesus. And so you have the presentation of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem with His coming and the great crowds are coming in and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. You've got the crowds of people there and they're all wrapped up in all the things that are happening. And then Jesus, uh, as Jesus is, is coming, He's creating this situation in which people are hearing all the things that He has done and as He's traveling, he's, uh, the people are gathering even more and gathering more steam and they're, uh, they're celebrating Jesus. But not everyone wants to see Jesus crowned king. Not everyone wants to see Jesus received as a king. The leaders are there. They want to, uh, the, everything that the crowd is doing. Remember, Jesus said to them, look, if, the, if, I, if we told the crowds to stop saying uh, all of these things, the very rocks would rise up and, and cry out, Hosanna. The very rocks would cry out. Because Jesus' time has come and Jesus has chosen to present Himself to the people. And so these large crowds have come together and they're excited about all the things that are happening and the, the tears of the passion are that in just a few short days, this same crowd that wants to crown Jesus King, this same crowd that wants to celebrate Him and to cry out, Hosanna, save us, Jesus, 
would cry out, crucify him. These same crowds that see Jesus as the Messiah will see him as just another charlatan and they'll, they'll want to get rid of him and, and they'll follow the leadership of the religious leaders and they'll choose Barabbas over Jesus. They'll choose a murderer and an instigator of crimes over Jesus. And they'll allow the Romans to take Jesus and crucify Him on a cross. The great cheers of, of Hosanna will be replaced with crucify Him. And the great joy of seeing Jesus as King will be replaced with people saying, let His blood be upon us and on our children. We don't want anything to do with Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. The great day of celebration is just the beginning of the passion, the beginning of the time in which Jesus will sacrifice Himself and give Himself over for us. And so in our excitement and our exuberation today, let us not forget the sacrifice that Jesus made. He made for us. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your great love and we praise You for sending Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that hasn't accepted You as Lord and King of their life, Lord, that they would say to Jesus today, Hosanna, Lord, save me. Save me from our sins. Save me from the things that separate me from You. Lord, if there's someone here today that hasn't committed their life to You, Lord, may they call out to You, allow You to be the King of their life, the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.